This is a 3CR podcast. And this is Published or Not. Oh, good morning, Jan. And good morning to our authors, Elizabeth and Marie. Good morning. A full studio. Isn't it great? (laughs) Now, if you read a book encouraging individuals to be creative, ambitious and independent, that sounds good. But to achieve these outcomes, how much help do you need from your group or your community to support you? Marie Coote has given this concept a delightful turn in her latest book, The Independent P. Welcome back, Marie. Thank you, Jan. Thanks for having me. Now, The Independent P. Yes, well, what could be more absurd than a P that wants to go it alone? That sounds like an MP to me. He's a a very ambitious P with big dreams and um, thinks, you know, that pod's holding me back. You know, who needs them? I can do it all by myself. But then, of course, the pod shows him you can't make a pyramid by yourself. Well, the pod tries to collaborate. But P has big dreams, you know, big influences like um, Piapatra and Picasso <laughs> and I warn you, the book is full of pea puns. Uh, and, you know, big dreams for fame and fortune. Um, and the pod tries to collaborate all the way through these pages, but um, P's pretty, you know, ambitious and independent, but oh. eventually realises that... You know, really you can't make it with the big dinner legends like roast chicken and sausages and (laughs) pasta uh, all by yourself. I mean, you know, um, no recipe ever called for just one piece. And, of course, before we get on to the recipes, you have have absolutely slaughtered the English language, I think. (laughs) You know, we're starting with Shakespeare. Shakespeare, of course. And that great quote? To pee. To pee or not to pee. (laughs) And um, well, these are the influences. These are the these are the things that make P dream big. Yeah. And you know, look, uh, in the end, of course, P realizes that he needs to collaborate to achieve goals. And together, they make some fabulous recipes. All recipes, of course, and all P focused recipes. And it's lots of fun and silly. And the recipes are in the book too. Simple things like fried eggs studded with peas and things like that. But the point about this is that I'm trying to put on the menu, the collective back on the menu, because I think this society, we've we've got this very individualistic driven culture. It's kind of a, a highly competition culture, I call it, you know, where kids early on are told, you're enough, you're perfect, you're special, you're unique. And let's face it, we all are. But we all are. It's not unique and special that one person is unique and special because we all are. And I think, look, individual achievement is great and personal success is great and creative satisfaction is brilliant. We all love it and I love it. But I just want to put the collective back on the menu for kids, you know, so that there's this notion of this duality that we're not alone. You can't really do anything alone. Uh, no matter what you think you're a hermit, someone's doing the plumbing somewhere, you know, or, and even, you know, in the world of climate change, we're effective other people's decisions as far as the weather and all the rest of it's concerned. We're not separate, really, ever. And social media promises this connection for young people today that I don't really think is real or at least it's shallow we do have a p podcast we do have a p podcast (laughs) at the back of the book that gives you allowance to have more p jokes (laughs) exactly but you know as you say you uh, there's a lot of philosophical stuff written about this but what you've done is just made it so noticeable for kids and this is a kids book it's very colorful yeah i like to introduce these sorts of subjects to kids for discussion in class, really, 
just so we can just think about things and put things back on the menu for them because I think we're we're drowning in um, individual culture, the culture of the cult of the individual, really pop idol and all the rest of it. And, you know, teams exist, of course, where it's not just the individual but they seem to be like an eight-headed individual teams. You know, they're not like the... I mean, activists and unions, they understand the collective. It's beyond you and your kind. It's for a bigger result, a you know, even for people that you don't know and you'll never know, whereas a lot of teams are very individualistic in that they serve themselves and they serve the members. You know? There's no I in team. There's no P in team. <laughs> <laughs> well, sort of as you quote, this yeah. is the quote, belonging, collaboration and connection need to be put back on the menu. Yeah. And you've done it here with a lot of laughs. Yeah. But, you know, I, this is your latest book. You've been doing books now for so long and you've won so many awards. Just telling me outside how in South Korea, you know, you, you, you're flaunted with some incredible exhibition that space. That was a very, very lucky connection made there um, through the Bologna Children's Book Fair because I have my um, books at the – that's the peak trade fair in Bologna. It's just beautiful and exquisite and all the best children's books from all around the world are there. And um, – a Korean group of curators found my letter art typographic illustration and because they're non-native English speakers they really got the connection with using I use let the letters of the subject to create the image so for example for to create a, a, an image of a swan I'll use an S a W an A and an N and and choose fonts that work for parts of the body and configure it, arrange them so that there is this beautiful swan but it's made from the letters that spell its name and they kind of get the value of that because they're very much interested in teaching their kids English and any means by which they might be able to get English through to those kids they they grasp with both hands and they also love illustration and design and so they've done the most beautiful exhibitions for me over there. It's just I'm so lucky, so thrilled about that connection. One of Marie Coote's other books is called Letters for Lunch. Letters for and, Lunch. And, you know, if you think about Where's Wally, this is like Where's Wally Letters. You get a lettuce and you have to find all those letters of letters. Yes, well, it's the same principle. So like the swan, the lettuce is made out of L-E-T-T-U-C-E in various fonts mm. arranged to create a lettuce. And it's a it's a puzzle. Kids can unpuzzle the, the illustration to find the letters that create it and associate the correct spelling with that picture of the object and hopefully also just consider the notion of type and letters and typography and and also the notion of bending the rules and using letters to make pictures instead of mm. making words which is kind of a backwards version of where letters came from in the first place as pictograms. Now um, Maria I've had you on the program before and some of my favourites that you've had was a spider who taught people about art in the art gallery yes. and then Andy Webb Andy Webb the spider and Robin Boyd the who architect who, the architect who taught about architectural styles through nest building yes, look yes. these books just have to be seen and appreciated and of course in social history you did the daughters the invisible daughters of melbourne no it's called the daughters of melbourne a guide to the invisible statues of melbourne because i'd been writing on the missing female statues from our city for 25 years or more nearly 30 years now with the melbourne book there's always been a chapter on statuary 
and a, a, a bit of a rant about the missing women. And I thought, oh, damn it, I'm just going to do a whole book on the subject. So about three years ago, I put Daughters of Melbourne together and it's 50 women and it's uh, Indigenous women, immigrant women, colonial women, post-colonial refugee, etc. all women who have, you know, made an incredible contribution to the culture, commerce and community of, of what Melbourne and Nam is now. And, uh, you know, we would not have, have this culture without those women and many, 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 many more beyond them. Yeah. But it's been, you know, like pushing cheese through a sieve to, to well, get uh, statues taken. up, but we're getting there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I first spoke with you, you had the Melbourne A History Now. It was mm. in its fourth edition. So the Melbourne book, th- yeah. That was, how, how many editions are you up to now? Well, I still, um, you know, the, the fifth is still half cooked, I have to tell you. I keep getting derailed, Jan. <gasps> yeah, because <laughs> when Korea says we're going to do this, we need, you know, da, 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 I have to sort of drop that and do that. But I did a book called The Art of Being Melbourne, which is an art history of the city, of paintings of the CBD from 1835 to mm-hmm. today. And so you can just sort of see the built space of the CBD change through the eyes of artists all the way through the past 200 years. And it's really interesting because artists sort of show us what we think we are, you know, or what they think we are. And it's a now, it's, that one won the, won the Victorian Community History Award yes. and it also won a New York Publishing Award. Yes. Now, if you have not heard from Murray about Murray Cook, <laughs> it is her, where she has all these books is so worthwhile going to. It's called Melbourne in Style. Melbourne Style. Melbourne yeah. Style Gallery, yeah, in South Melbourne, just on, Opposite the on market Clarendon Street. And yeah, down a bit. Yeah, not far from the South Melbourne market. So worth a visit. Mm. And if you've got kids or if you're interested in, in calligraphy or anything like this, it's so Oh, worth it. Thanks, Jan. Oh, thank you, Marie. <laughs> Marie Coote, The Independent P is one of the books that we spoke about today, but all her books are worth looking at from 155 Clarendon Street, South Melbourne. Have a look. Thank and, you so much. And the underlying message of the independent P obviously would be mind your P's and Q's. Oh, yes, oh. absolutely. Or oh, give P's a chance, whichever you prefer. <laughs> give P's a chance. Oh, oh, in one of your awards, maybe it's the Nobel Peace Prize. P, oh, <laughs> yes. This, this is a, oh, we've, we're going to move on from this. Let's get into private investigators. And, and often... <laughs> Private investigators have to tread carefully when it comes to separating their private and professional lives. And Elizabeth Coleman, in her latest novel, A Dance with Murder, has her PI, Edwina Ted Bristol, stepping over not just a dead body, but a lot of emotional turmoil. So, Elizabeth, (laughs) welcome to 3CR. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Ted is conflicted and we discover this in that first opening where she's working on a stalking case but there's a bit of a problem uh, that's become apparent with this case fill us us in well she's just almost kind of sort of started a relationship with a new man and then she gets a ballerina turns up at her office and she's in distress because she's being stalked and she doesn't want to go to the police for various reasons we discover later. So she employs Ted, but then Ted finds out she's the ex-wife, relatively recent ex-wife of the guy she's just almost sort of kind of starting to go out with. So she has to keep a secret from him, which she's immediately, you know, it's immediately problematic for Ted because she doesn't like lying to him, but his ex-wife insists on a non-disclosure agreement, so it all gets a bit emotionally messy. And his <laughs> so just how I like it. <laughs> emotionally messy, but it's also ethically messy, sure. Oh, absolutely, yeah, 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 both. Yeah. Yeah. Because Giselle, who's the one being stalked, mm. doesn't know that Ted is 
Uh, Ted tells her, she says, she sort of says, oh, yeah, I know him because they both do sword craft in Parkville, you know, the medieval battleground game. So Ted tells uh, Giselle that she does know Spike and she sort of, from his sons, sons of Thor warband, but she sort of kind of sounds like he's a vague acquaintance, which he was six months ago, so she figures kind of what's six months in the scheme of things. But, but Warcraft, why did you choose? It sounds so eccentric. Well, uh, but that's probably why, I guess. I, <laughs> I wanted, uh, to be honest, we had a, actually a dog sitter who did, <laughs> who did Swordcraft, and I thought, oh, wow, that's so fun and interesting. So I went to have a look, and it's just amazing. You know, hundreds of people dressed up as goblins and knights and people from, uh, you know, all all sorts of fantasy characters and I thought that would be a really fun hobby for Ted not because she's into cosplay and she's a big fantasy reader but because she would love the idea of sanctioned violence I think <laughs> so yeah that's why I thought but also this stalking incident brings up this whole issue of um, gender for that matter um, there's a particular character in this opening Jared Beasley who mm-hmm. There's a suspicion that he's the one doing the stalking, mm-hmm. but he's really a rather um, offensive type of male. Um, and I'm going to read something out here um, because this occurs right at the very end. But uh, Jared moves on, having tried to uh, keep contact with Ted all the way through. Oh, look, I'm, I'm afraid it's not going to work out for us, he said gently. You've wasted too much time fearing your feelings for me. And I've met an actress who's more evolved. Uh, but you're a good human. I, I, I'm sure you won't be alone forever. This dissing, this, this, this male attitude that we He getting, says that to her when he's been constantly texting her and stuff and to, she hasn't got back to him. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it speaks to an inadequacy in men, blowing up them, their own egos and putting down somebody else. Yeah, I wasn't thinking of it in a global sense about all men. I was just thinking about Jared. He's one of those guys who is a secret misogynist, you know, but it's housed in sensitive new age guy language. You know, for instance, he tells Ted that he was dating a model, excuse me, but it had nothing to do with her career. He was just, um, he was attracted to her (laughs) self-actualisation. So that's Jared. But you've got an excruciating line here. Um, the male ego was more indestructible than a cockroach. Yes, well. <laughs> I mean, it's worth reading the book for that one line alone. But as a mere male myself in a studio full of women, I'm actually going to have to put in a good word here sure, for, for, for Jared. He actually, really? <laughs> he actually helps solve one of he the does. cases. He does. That's true. He does. So you've somewhat used... inadvertently, but yes, he yeah. does. But but you've used him then as a structural device as uh, throughout the story because he keeps reappearing, as you mm-hmm. say, he keeps texting Ted, mm-hmm. trying mm-hmm. to make contact. Mm-hmm. Ted's thinking, oh, I've forgotten to do that, forgotten to do that, bang. Yes, so their date is chapter one, Mm. is their date, their disastrous date. (laughs) And then he keeps texting Ted throughout and she keeps forgetting to text back and say she's not interested. But then ultimately, yep, in the end, something that transpired on that first date actually helps her solve solve a murder. A a murder Mm. case, which we're actually uh, going to come to. Mm -hmm. Um, But you've got gender in here as an issue in some ways. I mean, 
Ted is flawed mm-hmm, uh, in, in her outlook and attitude. She's sort of not wanting to give in to her feelings no. for Spike. Mm. So there's a challenge she's got there. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's, she's, well, trying to come to terms with her own emotional background, so to speak. She's, she's got problems there. Oh, absolutely. Well, Ted, Ted's mother died when she was four in front of Ted's eyes and Ted has always blamed herself for that for reasons that are explained in the book. And so she's very, um, she's very kind of protect, self-protective. She's very, I mean, she jokes about having intimacy issues. She knows she does. But she's very frightened of bearing her soul about and allowing her emotional vulnerabilities to show so even though she's really like spike and she's really into him she's really looking forward to them starting something she's same time she's terrified about what that thing might be and what it might entail but she's also she's also got protective instincts which Mm -hmm. work to her detriment with her sister yes that's true that's true well this is where her pi skills actually are Mm. misused what happens here oh well ted's older sister bob when their mum died, she, her sister was 17 and her sister took Bob into her arms and has always looked after her and been her surrogate mum. And Bob, Ted absolutely adores her. She's the one person Ted will be semi-vulnerable with. But she's Ted's sister, Bob, Roberta, has um, such a soft heart that she's got a history of being taken for a ride and had a, having her heart broken. And Ted is fiercely protective Um to the point of being a vigilante, really, in terms of Bob's emotional well-being. So when Bob starts dating a new guy and she seems really happy and the guy seems lovely, Ted's just not prepared to trust it. So secretly she puts him under surveillance. Yes. Well, she she exceeds the sort of um, ethical boundaries of a friend in some ways and a PI. So, again, this... And a conf- sister. And a sister. This <laughs> conflicted attitude. Yes, yes, yes. Well, you know, life's more interesting if there's conflict, especially when you're reading about it, I think. And it's happening to somebody else and not you. Yes, exactly. We now get another uh, challenge. Um, Ted's got the task of looking for a missing person. We Mm -hmm. have Cicely Bunting Mm -hmm. and um, basically Duncan has been missing for a year, but still Cicely hires Ted to look for him. Mm. What's going on here? Well, Cicely Bunting's husband, Duncan, disappeared a year ago surfing at Cheviot Beach, the same place where Harold Holt disappeared and was never found. And everyone else, and his leg rope, shredded leg rope, washed ashore a few days later. So for everybody else, it just seems tragic but self-evident that he was taken by a shark. Or something similar happened. That he's gone, dead. But Cicely, for some reason, just cannot bring herself to believe that. So she thinks, comes to Ted with all these theories like, I bet he was washed up. Did you know there's 50 islands in the Bass Strait? They're, most of them are uninhabited. We've got to start looking there. He's probably washed up on an island on the Bass Strait waiting for me. And yeah, so. But it's over a year. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. So Ted, that's an ethical conundrum for Ted too, because she's um, feels conflicted about taking a case that she has basically zero chance of um, finding a resolution for but 
Bob, her beloved sister Bob, whose boyfriend she's got surveillance, <laughs> is um, very close with Cicely Bunting, the wife of the missing man. And she says to Ted, look, you know, on an objective level, maybe it would seem unethical, but Cicely is so distraught and even it would actually help her if you found, if you could find definitive proof that Duncan is dead, that would actually help her and I think she'd be prepared to pay, you know, a lot of money for that. Not that that's what it's about for Ted. Ted just jokes and goes, oh, that's good to know, but that's not why she takes it. So, And Cicely mm. seems to be a good-natured person, craft. Mm. And craft yes, she's, she's Melbourne crafting queen, sewer, knitter, weaver, you name it. She's just um, Bob is a sustainable florist who is next door to Cicely's crafting shop, so darn crafty. And Cicely's out of money since Duncan. Duncan had a gym that went bust and she had to sell their house to get him out of those debts and now she can't afford to pay rent on the shop and the, her home, so she has to move out and Bob's moving into so darn crafty, which is why how we get to meet Cicely. So mm. we've had a stalking and we which we can't resolve. We've got a missing body. But then you escalated even further. We mm-hmm. have murder. We do. Murder most foul. But there's a complication here because Mitch is a policeman. Mitch yep. knows Spike. Mm-hmm. And it looks like Spike could be implicated. Yes. Well, yes. A bit hard to go into too much detail without spoilers there but yes it is um spike becomes perilously close to spending a life in prison after mitch dies well dies he's he's murdered he's savagely murdered i should say stabbed to death and and there are questions um arising here about uh what has happened and again that conflict comes in Mm -hmm. because obviously ted wants to absolve spike is she going to find the truth or not? We can't answer that, but um, it, there's another sort well, of... Well, yeah, that's true. That is an emotional escalation for Ted. You know, we've discussed she's terrified of her feelings. and um, So when she... But she finds herself so passionate about finding the real murderer so she can get Spike freed and she can save Spike and save his future and start whatever it's going to be with him, that it, that actually leads her... His Spike's predicament leads her to the realisation that she's actually in love with him, which so, freaks her out. Which freaks her out. So does she yeah. really want that to be resolved? Mm. So we've got this escalation occurring from mm-hmm. stalking to disappearance to murder throughout the novel. Mm-hmm. We've got Jared all the way through. Mm-hmm. Poor, hapless Jared. But, you know, he does help solve <laughs> He's the not that hapless. <laughs> but please... <laughs> You've also you've also bring in Miss Marple here. Who's ah. Miss Marple and the role she plays? Miss Marple is Ted's beloved and acutely intelligent miniature schnauzer. And Ted and Miss Marple have a kind of te- telepathic relationship. When their eyes meet, they can communicate. She's not Mr Ed, nothing like that. No one else ever hears her, but Ted and Miss Marple can always communicate and miss in surprisingly conversational detail and miss marple is super smart super aloof and um a very interesting and also she's ted's the love of ted's life which bob worries that ted will never allow herself to love a human being as much as she, she loves miss marple because the communication mm. i mean miss marple actually saves ted at oh, one she's stage. saved her life twice yeah. Once in both books, yeah. Oh, I, I haven't mentioned the earlier book, which I, <laughs> I should get uh, get uh, across to. She's at very some gutsy, Miss Marple. Yes, yeah, she's so, kick ass. 
<laughs> but very entertaining in, in that regard. But here's the other go, and I, I think we can might be able to bring Marie in here as mm-hmm. well. This book Great. is set in Melbourne. Yes. And you've brought out the feet. Why not? Why indeed? indeed. Mm. I mean, you know, let's let's make uh, Melbourne the murder capital of, <laughs> of Australia. But the references. Well, I think of Melbourne as a character in the book. Mm. Mm. It's How, a great city. Yeah. Personality. Yeah. yeah. I just mm. love Melbourne and I just It's got so many to, layers. That, it really that does. Personality-wise, you can... You can yeah. imbue it with all kinds of um, characteristics, can't you? Because so it's true. like an onion, Melbourne. It really is. So many different pockets yeah, here yeah. and there. Sydney's and very much in your face. You can tell what it is straight away by looking yeah. at it. But Melbourne, you've got to peel it all back to find, the, the I think, find all its characteristics. That's exactly what I think. I agree. Mm. So, so, yeah, I just wanted to pay homage to Melbourne in a way and make it an and integral diff- part of the book. Different suburbs and locations, mm-hmm. which all have a... A character of their own. Mm-hmm. So that is a fascinating aspect as well. Um, but really, um, Ted seems to be at the mercy of her own emotional weakness. Oh, yeah. Uh, for a large part of the book, owning mm-hmm. up to it. And the way the book ends is with a hint of something she was worried about earlier mm-hmm. uh, in the novel perhaps being the focus of... That she thought was no longer a problem. problem mm. That could be, in fact... A huge problem. A huge problem. Mm. Which, one thing that absolutely amazes me is how well you've coordinated this novel and how oh, thank you. all of those elements actually interweave. Um, so, That's... really, how much planning... Oh, God, twisting my brain into a pretzel you know I've got a whiteboard in my office and it's really and I had yeah 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 you know cards rearranging them and then of course you've got written and then suddenly you have a brilliant idea and you go oh my god that's so much better oh my god it's another two months work you know then I'll just have to strip away and sort of restructure and something that was happening here now is happening back here so I have to tweak well, yeah, it's very. It's like a house of cards, you know. Mm. Everything topples because they they do interweave. And as I said, you know, oh, Jar- yeah, yeah. Jared actually comes back and helps, even yep. though he sort of seems to be mm. inconsequential mm-hmm. both as a person and as a character. <laughs> um, but he is useful. Yes. Um, also, then um, the emotional challenges, because even now there's a possible future with Spike. Mm-hmm. But there are going to be challenge, emotional challenges, mm. which will influence uh, because of Miss Marple. Yes, and, and yes. such like. How much can yes. you say about that one? Very little. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, little. Uh, it's but, yeah, it's it's an ongoing challenge. Yes. In other words, it's not a case of oh no, it's not finding it's not, a resolution. It, no, 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 that's no fun. There I are, don't think as a writer, I, I'm not. That's not what I'm interested in. Someone who's resolved everything. There, there will be a yeah. need for emotional uh, compromises. Indeed, all the way through. yes, and Ted's not very good at compromise. Yeah, it's a lesson so, she's going to have to learn. This is all revealed: the emotional challenges, the ethical dilemmas, the uh, role of a PI in Melbourne. 
And it all comes out in a book entitled A Dance with Murder. Dance or Dance? How would you I'm prefer? easy. You're Whatever easy. you prefer. A Dance with Murder. Dance. Dance or Dance with Murder <laughs> by Elizabeth Coleman. And it's a Pantera Press release. It so, is. Elizabeth, thank you very much for thank talking you. with me today. Thank, thank you, David. Well, no peas were killed, Emery. <laughs> well, they might have been consumed. There's a dinner or two <laughs> yeah, that absolutely. people have. An individual pea can only be a garnish. Yes. Never a whole (laughs) recipe. True. And I was speaking with um, Marie Coote about her book, The Independent Pea, and once again, it's from the Melbourne style books in 155 Clarendon Street, South Melbourne. Really worth a look. And if you're thinking as a tourist of coming to Melbourne, well, you know, there's a murder or two happening every day. (laughs) We've got so many uh, people, uh, authors murdering off others in Melbourne. So, next book, Marie. Uh, <laughs> that basically takes us out for this week. We will be back with more authors next week. You've just been listening to Published or Not on 3CR.